was thinking of the Flaming Lips, but I don't know that 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 line is is not even in that song. So all right, well with that, welcome everybody to the Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. Do you know the album uh, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots? No, you probably mentioned this to me before. I actually got it at that giant book sale we went to. Oh, okay. I mean, I've heard the Flaming Lips here and there, but I'm not like a big devotee or anything. It's a really good album. I like it a lot. Um, Yeah, so I think right before we were recording, I was about to tell you about Shia LaBeouf. Right. <laughs> yeah, like what well a couple a few months ago, I think uh I might have told you about this. He uh did this sort of quote experiment where he went to the Angelica Cinema Theater in New York City and got them to program every single movie he ever acted in. Right. And he he set a challenge for himself where he watched all of his movies. Wow. Like back to back to back to back. For that for me that would be torture. <laughs> Not n- not even necessarily. If like, even if you like the movies. No, no. I mean, like, if I was an actor who had this uh, career that yeah. spanned several movies, watching myself in every movie to me would be agony because I don't think I could stand up to seeing myself on screen. No, I I don't think I, I could. Either. I guess that's um. It's interesting because if you go online, it's, it's a can... lot easier to listen to yourself on a podcast. But... Well, well, the other thing that he did on top of that, I mean, it'd be one thing if he was just sitting in a theater and people could come in. It was free. Nice. Anybody could come in, watch right, as I many movies you... as they wanted. I remember but... you talking about. And this. the other thing was you could uh, see him watching the movies because he had a little camera on him as he was looking up at the screen. Oh, you didn't tell me about that. Yeah. So you can go online, and I don't know if the video is still up anymore, but you can see pictures of him watching his movies and obviously like watching some of the transformers movies he had a lot of like hands on his face (sighs) and like kind of in shock and he was saying no 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 (laughs) no yeah i i would have been i would have been i i almost i almost went i i forget why i didn't go i must have just been a little busy that week or something but uh um I guess it would have been awkward. Like, what if I ran into him in the bathroom? What would you oh, say to man. Shia LaBeouf if, like, he suddenly came up to you, like, in the, you know, goes to the urinal? I probably would have made a reference to actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> he probably would have, he probably would appreciate that. Like, because that song I, you're I would have just about, looked right? at him and, and gone. <laughs> I, you know what? For all the weird shit that he probably gets, he probably enjoys that. I hope so. Well, I, I hope he at least has a sense of humor about himself. It's a I don't know, like because you know some celebrities they, some of them just want to get attention. Yeah. Sometimes I mean he also when you're dealing with like child stars who went through the Disney system, right. some of them wind up kind of messed up. Uh, I have yeah, to give him credit that what's I mean the deal Disney. Yeah, I mean, for God's sakes, you know, at least treat your actors like normal people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he goes from being in wholesome entertainment like Holes. Yeah, he was and, in Holes, and then, then he does a two-part Lars von Trier nymphomaniac uh, double feature, where he, it's quite a contrast. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, Disney's Holes. On the other hand, I'm going to audition for you by sending you pictures of my penis. <sighs> I, I don't know. That might have just been a rumor, but I, I know that he said we'll like print I'm prepared it. to do anything. Yeah, print print the when legend becomes fact, print the penis. Um, 
So, um, by the way, just to mention, if you want to reach out to us and don't send us penis pics, um, <laughs> uh, you can email us at wavesofcinema at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, at fa- uh, you can find us at the Wages of Cinema podcast and at Wages of Cinema on Twitter. And we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Find yeah. us on one of those apps and pr- please give us a rating and follow us. You know, we... You never know what we'll, we'll come up with next. Write a review on iTunes helps us become a lot more visible. <clears throat> exactly. Now, now onto the main. Now onto the important thing of today. Uh, do you know what today is? Today is Valentine's Day, my good buddy. Not just Valentine's Day. Uh, it's this, not. It is a special Valentine's Day because um, of the movie Ghostbusters Two. Have you ever seen Ghostbusters Two? No. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, obviously, again, it's not as good as the first one. That's a given. It's pretty good for a comedy sequel. Usually comedy sequels are bad. Right. This this holds up pretty well. Like, some people really shit on it. I, I kind of like it. The important thing with uh, Ghostbusters 2, though, and I don't know if I can show you this scene. I'll probably drop a clip of this in a, in a minute or two, but just check this out and uh, tell me what you think. Elaine, now you had another date in mind. According to my source, the end of the world will be on February 14th in the year 2016. Valentine's Day. Bummer. Where'd you get your date, Elaine? I received this information from an alien. As I told my husband, it was in the Paramus Holiday Inn. I was having a drink at the bar alone, and this alien approached me. He started talking to me. He bought me a drink. And then I think he must have used some kind of a ray or a mind control device because he forced me to follow him to his room. And that's where he told me about the end of the world. So your alien had a room at the Holiday Inn, Paramus. It might have been a room on the spacecraft made up to look like a room at the Holiday Inn. I can't be sure about that, Peter. Of course not. And that is the whole problem with aliens, is you just can't trust them. Occasionally you meet a nice one, Starman, E.T., but usually they turn out to be some kind of big lizard. (laughs) That's all the time we've got for this week on World of the Psychic. Next week, though, give me Ira. Hairless pets. Weird. Until then, this is Peter Beckman saying. <laughs> See you then. Okay. There is no holiday in Paramus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's pretty funny. Oh, I, I've poked another hole into this story. You've you've torn apart the fabric of Harold Ramis's beautifully constructed scene. I know. <laughs> But yeah, I that's that's something that uh I you know what it is, it's because like when you're on social media you get reminded of this thing like over and over again. And so I knew about this for like a few weeks. And so it was just kinda great seeing all these posts of people talking about, Oh, the end of the world is coming tomorrow, you better watch out. Forget back to the future day. Yeah. Uh, this is the real deal. Yes. Yeah. It's... What other future dates do we have to look forward to? I mean, is there anything <sighs> in uh, Total Recall we have to look forward to? Or... I don't know. I um. We I mean, there, get... there were. It's funny because there were minor things in uh, Blade Runner 
where actually, and this has already happened. Oddly enough, this was one of the dates where um, early on in the movie, have you, you seen Blade Runner? I've seen Blade Runner. All right. You remember, like, there's, like, Harrison Ford's being shown sort of, like, the mug shots of uh, Rucker Howard and Daryl Hannah by right. the detective early on in the movie. And they show kind of, like, their information, like, their day of birth. Um, earlier this month, I believe, or last month, was um, Rucker Howard's character's birth. Uh, not birthday, but his date of creation. Yeah, well, and, we can call it a birthday. And today, I believe, is Daryl Hannah's character's creation wow. day. Uh, Pris. Um, now, as far as other dates, I I, I don't what's, know. What's the birthday of uh, Captain Kirk? Ooh, because I know there's question. because in the Star Trek universe he's born in a certain place in Illinois or something Ohio yeah. Iowa. Well, of course, someone's the, gonna tell. Well, of course, me. the joke in the reboot is when uh, he's a little kid and he steals a car and he turns on the classic station and puts on BC Boy Sabotage. Right, but I mean, in the ta- in the place where he was supposed to be fictionally born in real life, there was a monument that says this is the future birthplace of James Tiberius Kirk. Hmm. Well. Let me, uh... We gotta make a list of significant dates. This is our new project. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I go to Wikipedia, it doesn't really give me the, uh... The day of birth. It's pro- I'm sure that probably some Trekkie will tell us who will be like, He was born on the date of February 18th in 20... Seven or something. I don't know. That's probably that already happened, so it doesn't matter. Way to condescend, Jack. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I, I'm, I like Star Trek. I don't know why I'm making fun of them. They're actually, they're gonna have their 50th anniversary this year, and it's gonna be, uh, oh really? Pretty big. Yeah, they're having like a big convention in New York City. That's great. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's kind of funny because my, my father-in-law tell, loves to talk about how like, I went to Star Trek conventions when they weren't cool. <laughs> when they were in like kids' basements, and <laughs> yeah, well, all right. So um, let's talk about some other movies that we watched the past uh, week. Or I two. saw Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross today. First time ever. First time ever. Okay. Um, it's funny. The very first movie I ever talked about on this podcast was Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Huh. Really? Yeah, fun, fun piece of trivia for you wages of cinema people out there. See? Full circle. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know, what do you think? The end is the beginning is the end, Yeah. as the Smashing Pumpkins would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, come on, you can say a little bit more about that. Like, what... Here, how, all right, how, here, how is... here is my distinct impression of this movie. This takes place in a world where leads are super important. They're trying to sell real estate, which yeah. we never see. Mm-hmm. And even though I had no idea why any of these things were important, mm-hmm. I knew that they were important. And as long as you buy into that idea that these abstract things are important, then the plot is totally accessible to you. Hmm. You don't well, have to understand everything they're talking about. It doesn't hold your hand. It's just like, here are the best actors we can get. Throw in a truckload of profanity. And off you yeah. go. Yeah, I mean, if the, when Quentin Tarantino came out, like a lot of critics had trouble comparing him to a lot of other writers, except they immediately jumped to Mammoth. Yeah. Well, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, I mean... Distinct voice, it, lots of profanity. It's interesting to me that this movie came out the same year as Reservoir Dogs, because if you did a double feature, it's kind of the 
slightly similar because in Reservoir Dogs, it's all about you know who's the rat, who's the one who has the cops on their trail. It's about that. it's about a society of men, yeah, and professionals that too who are very good at their jobs. That too, yeah, and and also you know, and that's the same thing. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, who's the one who you know t- stole the leads, yeah, and and yet the I, I don't lead... think it's hard to follow though. I think that you can the actors and their Almost emotionally, you can follow everything. So yeah. even if okay, well, it's it's the performances. Underst- I mean, oh god, yeah. you don't you don't understand what necessarily <clears throat> even what leads are or what or what they're selling, but you understand I, who these characters I, are. I could I could kind of understand it. You can infer it, but nobody ever says this is a lead well, or well, yeah, well, no, it's people who you're going to sell to, and there are some people who are much better. You know, they're they're much stronger people that you can try to sell the house to or the property to. Other like people who won't. Right. That's I think it's a pretty basic way to explain it. Right, but that's the, but, but that's but you the didn't thing. Get that? The movie doesn't have to explain it. Okay. You get that these things are important for whatever reason they're important. Dude, they know the movie doesn't have to tell you that. And it's, it's such but, rich material. But then, but that's not the point either. No. It's it's all these characters, and you get who they are and what they're supposed to be doing and what their relationship is to each other, all basically through the performance. And it's also interesting because just like with Reservoir Dogs, it. And even more so because Reservoir Dogs has flashbacks. This all takes place in a compressed period of time. Like it takes place under like 24 hours. Well, that's because it was a play. Well, yeah, yeah, too. But but I mean, plays can take place in any time period they want. But it's I like that it's it's there's so much pressure and oh and God Jack Lemmon. Yeah. He it's like among all the actors and you have people like Al Pacino and Ed Harris and. Alan Kevin Arkin. Spacey and Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin was like he was good in a way that was kind of like. I mean, Gestapo tactics. <laughs> yeah, um, but like Lemon, it's just. And even uh, Jonathan Price. Yeah, good he old pops Jonathan up in it Price. Too. Good old Jonathan Price. He he's the guy that Al Pacino is selling to for like the whole movie. Yeah. Until he's not, and I mean, if you go on YouTube and you just type in Glengarry Glen Ross, you'll see so many. Good meaty monologues. Right. All right. So, um, I guess you could say, yeah, this is the cinematic equivalent of meat. <laughs> okay. Sure. Put it that way. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. Meat. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, put that on the DVD box. Good <laughs> Gary Gunross. It's meat. <laughs> Wages of cinema. All right. <laughs> <laughs> in quotes with an exclamation point. <laughs> you have, you know, you do, no, no. You have, like, a certified wage of cinema beef thing. Like, they put on food packages. <laughs> 100% beef. Yeah. Or, 100% cinematic beef. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, so I've watched a number of things this week. Um, I guess I'll start off first with uh, the, uh, the a new movie, Hail Caesar. Oh, and uh, I know you had kind of had maybe passing interest in seeing this, right? I did. I I just haven't gotten around to seeing it yet. Yeah, um, Coen it, Brothers. Yeah, if you can get out to see it, I think uh, I think you would enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, it's a movie set in uh, early fifties Hollywood, um, and it, uh, it it all it all it just follows this guy. Uh, his name's Eddie Mannix, and interestingly, the weird thing is he's based on a real guy. But the Coens say it's like very, very loosely based on it, and I didn't even know this going in. 
it was when I came out of the movie, I found out that, uh, I don't know if you'd heard of this movie, Hollywoodland. Yeah. Kind of like ten, you know, where, where, ironically, Ben Affleck was George Reeves. Right. TV Superman. Uh, in that movie, Bob Hoskins plays the the character that Josh Brolin plays in this movie. Huh. Yeah. Very different type of characters. However, they're both in Hollywood, I guess. Great. Like, basically, Eddie Mannix is, like, kind of the head of production at the studio, and it's like over the course of a day and night, you follow as he's uh, having to manage like twelve different things at once. And like the one big problem is like George Clooney gets uh, kidnapped by these uh, communists, and uh, he he's kind of fed like all this uh, stuff about you know communism. Uh, and of course, it's taking him away from shooting the prestige picture Hail Caesar, A Tale of Christ. <laughs> I mean, the genius of this movie are in its set pieces. It's in like every time that you visit a Hollywood set and you see kind of how um these types of movies were made and how like I mean part of the charm is also uh <coughs> like how <laughs> like sincere they were. Yeah. Like probably the highlight of the movie might be Channing Tatum is like a, in a sailor costume doing a musical number where it's all about uh, sailing out to sea. And uh, uh, it's just, uh, that that was great. And then, but it's also like things that I guess actually happened during that time. Like there's a, there's a supporting character who is like a Roy Rod Rogers type of cowboy. And he's great at being a cowboy. He's like a genuine guy. He's not trying to pretend to be somebody else, which is kind of like a running thing in the movie. But, he gets a sign. He's told, like, while he's in his lunch break, okay, you have to go do this movie right now. And it's like a costume drama from, like, the late 19th century. He's like, really? Yeah, you have to go right now. Because that's what they used to do to contract players. You didn't have a choice in what you hmm. chose to do as a movie. And this guy gets thrown into acting in this set, directed by Ray Fiennes, as, uh, oh, I forgot his name. But it's like, even, like, Ray Fiennes' his name is great. And the whole scene is just this cowboy actor trying to pronounce this like very like who did it were so simple or something like that. And him trying to pronounce that one line is one of the funniest things I've seen in years. Good. So I, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. However, I should say it's not like it, it, among the Cohen movies, I would put more on the level of like a burn after reading than raising Arizona. Okay. It's not among their great comedies, but it's good. Like it, uh, it's kind of one of those things where the parts are greater than the whole. Like, if you were to just look at the central plot, it's just okay. But every time that, like, you get one of those big movie scenes, or you get, like, Francis McDormand working in a uh, in an editing suite, uh, it's, it's just great. Right. Uh, what else did you see? I actually, I think that's basically it, because I was working on my cinema immersion tank thing, oh. so. Okay, well, I could talk, let me just talk a little bit more about a few things that I did, uh, um, I'm not going to talk about all the movies, but I watched a lot of documentaries uh, the past couple weeks. Good. Um, primary among them, uh, the new it's a new release. Uh, Michael Moore has a new movie out. Oh. Uh, called Where to Invade Next. Have you heard about this movie? I think I've heard that title. Yeah. Um, well, you might have even seen the trailer maybe at some point. Like, um, I mean, Michael Moore hasn't made a movie in a little while, and. Uh, and this one's different than some of his other ones. Like, normally, you know, with him, you have him uh, interviewing people about a subject, and sometimes he'll play, like, a little prank or do one of his 
sort of gotcha things. Um, like he'll, like in Fahrenheit 9/11, he, like he he circles around the white uh, the Congress in like an ice cream truck, blaring out uh, reading the Patriot Act because nobody's <laughs> read the Patriot Act. Like that was his thing. In this movie, not a single frame of footage is shot in America. It's all it's kind of like Michael Moore's European Vacation, and the sort of concept is I'm going to go invade quote these other countries like Germany and Iceland and Finland and uh, uh, Slovenia, not to be confused with Slovakia. Different countries. Yes, France, other countries like that. Find their good ideas and claim them for my own country. Yay! Um, I mean, it's it's a... Oh, man, this was such a stunner for me. I don't know what I was expecting, but it's both very funny and yet very infuriating to see how a lot of these other European countries... Have all these things going on that seem like common sense things that America should be doing, and I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't spoil what the conclusion he comes to, but it almost makes the movie try. He tries to make it a little more optimistic at the end than it might seem, but he. Um, I mean, I, it's. I mean, if you like Michael Moore, you should go see it. You should almost go see it just to support, you know, this. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't know. Do you just decide? Do you have you seen Michael Moore's movies? I've seen uh, Bowling for Col- Columbine and Fahrenheit 911. Mm. I like Columbine better. I think that d- that makes its point a lot more solidly. Huh. Uh, I haven't seen anything else. Okay, because it's funny because I rewatched. I also rewatched Fahrenheit 911 after seeing Where to Invade Next, and I I thought it holds up pretty well. I was uh, I don't know. It just. Uh, just... Actually, I remember surprisingly little about Fahrenheit 9/11. Now that I think about it, if you if you ever get to rewatch it, I think they I've, have. I've uh... seen it fewer times, so that might account for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bowling for Combine, I think, might be easier to watch. Like Fahrenheit 11 has more like facts kind of crammed into it. Um, How dare a documentary fill itself with dare. facts? How dare he try to get things right so he can make his point? Um, but anyway, so speaking of documentaries, I watched something kind of sort of on the opposite end of that, instead of going after, like, what's the American dream and all that, I watched uh, a documentary called Saturday Night, which is directed by James Franco, and it's all about behind the scenes at Saturday Night Live. Huh. It's him, he had, like, all the access that he wanted. I mean, I think it was just him, like, a camera guy or something, so it was really small. And following what it's like to over the course of a week to make an episode of Saturday Night Live. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, just uh, endlessly interesting because, um, I mean, I would read a book uh, a little while back about Saturday Night Live, so I had known a few things about stuff, but actually seeing just how like people pitch ideas and how things sound funny, but then you also see how they pitch like 50 ideas and they actually go off and write them, but then they have to narrow it down to like 10 skits. Yeah. And it's like, you see these people putting all this work into things that, you know, should be very funny. And then they'll pick these 10 skits and then they'll still cut even more skits at like dress rehearsal. So, and it'll be for something that just, just because it doesn't connect with what audience they'll immediately realize, okay, we can't show this at all. And it's, it's almost it's kind of heartbreaking, and yet it's what it is. And it's almost like, oh well, this has been working for us for forty years, so we're gonna keep with it. Um, Even though Saturday Night Live is steadily declining in relevance, uh, a little bit. I mean, it depends on what guests they get. 
um, in the documentary, the guest of the week is John Malkovich. Uh, so <laughs> there's some funny things in that. Like they have a skit involving like, uh, I think it's like dangerous liaisons in a hot tub or something like that. I forget what it was. Wow. That's a reference. Uh, it was, they had a dangerous liaisons joke and like, and like John Malkovich in one skit dresses up like a teenage girl and some of it's a little weird, but it's generally, you had very funny people like Bill Hader working on it. So go check it out. It's on Hulu. All right. And, uh, just a couple more I want to mention here. Cause again, I watched like for the most part documentaries. I also saw a movie called son of Saul, which I won't get into too much except it's up for the foreign film Oscar. And it's among the most depressing movies I've seen in a very long time. See what? Have people want Deadpool instead. <laughs> yes. If you want to laugh, don't see Son of Saul. Don't go see the Holocaust movie set in Auschwitz that's all about a Sonderkommando cleaning up uh, after dead bodies and trying to find his dead son. There, see? Yeah. I just Dude, saw, I just did a review in like 10 seconds. Wages of Cinema. All right. Um, But speaking of documentaries, so... Uh, two different, very different ones that I watched. Uh, one was called Best of Enemies. Uh, I don't know if you know these. Well, you'll know one of these names for sure, but the other one, I'm not sure. Gore Vidal. Yeah. And William F. Buckley. Hmm. Maybe not the second one. All right. Well, because the second one was more, he was kind of like this. And I know Gore th- Vidal, the, the novelist. Yeah. And also the writer of Caligula. Right. And, uh. What happened with them, so William F. Buckley was a big conservative uh, kind of thinker, I guess you could say. Uh, he wrote, he was the editor of National Review in the late 60s. And ABC, you know, this was the time we had three TV networks. And ABC decided, all right, we are having trouble competing with doing conventional coverage of a convention like NBC and CBS. How about we get these two guys, you know, you have William F. Buckley, a figurehead of the conservative movement, and you have Gore Vidal, an avowed liberal and two of the most stuck-up intellectuals ever, <laughs> and let them get at each other's throats over all of these the, the, the Republican Democratic conventions. This sounds like a great sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> One's a conservative figurehead. The other is a liberal <laughs> novelist. Can to, they get along? Cut to shot of them opening up doors that slam into each other <laughs> in adjoining rooms. Oh. No. Um, um yeah it's it's a fascinating look mostly because it's i mean and maybe the documentary mentioned this one maybe too many times that uh, trying to tell you but the footage itself is worth you know a thousand words do you have the kind of the birth of the modern cable news cycle where you have you know all those talking heads who are constantly at each other only here it's interesting because it's like Wow, so this all started off from two people who were highly intellectual and very smart. You know, pro- some of them, you know, you might be wrong on one count or another. I mean, Buckley probably more than Dahl. But uh, it's on Netflix. You should check it out. That's all I'll say. And lastly, um, I'll I'll talk about uh, another documentary that I just watched last night called... Uh, Man, you love the documentaries, don't you? Oh, no, you? I was just on a trek of them this week. I mean, I saw other movies, but... Um, I just was kind of curious about this thing called uh, Cobain, Montage of Heck. Uh, of course, by Cobain, I mean, you know, Kurt Cobain. Oh, that Cobain. Yeah, as opposed to Cobain, 
uh, Taffy and uh, Rides. By the way, today's podcast is sponsored by Cobain Taffy. Uh, it's so sticky that it will make you go into a mosh pit and stuff. Um, Cobain Taffy. Yes. Wages of Cinema. Yes. Seattle, Washington. Um, yeah, it's a look back at Kurt Cobain's life, but it's one of those things where the director had access to all these n- kind of never be heard, never heard before audio recordings. I don't even mean music. Just Why like, do so many celebrities have audio recordings of themselves that future documentarians can go back <laughs> and listen to? Maybe he was Marlon a Brando. Yeah, yeah. And Kurt Cobain now. Yeah. And every once in a while, you know, you hear about something like Nixon. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, all that stuff from Fog of War with uh, you know, with Robert McNamara. Well, that's well that's different. They were in the White House. But um no, no, but this was like Kurt Cobain though, like just I'm messing around to as think a young this person. is all a scam. Maybe so. Um the thing about this movie though is also it's at times also an animated movie. Like, he uses certain things where Kurt Cobain talks about his teenage years and tells stories, and you see the animated reenactments of them. Huh. And some of them are just, like, heartbreaking. And also, really... he also had access to home video footage of Co- Cobain and Courtney Love. That almost felt a little invasive, but it's still fascinating. And, of course, it's Nirvana music, so. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, do you like Nirvana? Uh, yeah, yeah. On a superficial level. I'm not okay. going to say I'm a giant fan. All right. I, I'll say, I mean, I'm not, they weren't like among my favorite bands ever or anything like that, but I'll, you know, if I'm listening to, if I need a little bit of energy, I'll put on, uh, like a live record they did back in like 1992 and that will, uh, get me doing stuff around the house. All right. So, um, that's all I'll talk about for now. I mean, I've seen some other movies, but not really worth going into at the moment. Nothing um, Jack has seen is worth going into. So, I mean, I, I if you have movies, uh, something to say about the movies we've seen, uh, leave, leave a us comment. a comment. Um, and, uh, and the funny thing is, we actually received uh, a comment from a listener, but I'll bring that up when we go into our main topic. Coming, stay tuned. After the break, a comment from a listener of The Wages of Cinema. Could it be you? Or you? Or you?